Welcome to the CTF Sustainability Podcast Series. My name is Madeline Vanderhaven, and I work on the communications team at the CTF. In this series, we take a deep dive into all things sustainability, from forced labor, plastic waste, deforestation, food waste, and refrigeration. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Brian White, Vice President Compliance at the J.M. Smucker Company. The J.M. Smucker Company is deeply involved in the CGF's social sustainability work, and I am delighted to speak with Brian today about his experiences in CGF's coalitions of action, the challenges facing the consumer goods industry today, and opportunities for the future. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Thank you, Madeline. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation today. So as the Smucker Company's representative in both the CGF's Human Rights Coalition working to end forced labor and the Sustainable Supply Chain Initiative, why has the Smucker Company joined each of those coalitions respectively? And I may add as well, it's great that the Smucker Company is also the CEO co-sponsor of the SCI. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, you know, supporting our communities, employees, and the planet has always been a part of our DNA at Smucker. And we've been engaged with the CGS work since the beginning. You know, if you remember when it was first referred to as the Social Sustainability Committee, and at that time, I mean, we were just talking about the challenges to identify and address human rights in our own operations and key supply chains. And that's where the priority industry principles were born, right? You know, we got the three that are out there. I'm going to say them. It's, you know, every worker should have freedom of movement. No worker should pay for a job and no worker should be indebted or coerced to work. Uh, I don't think we can say those enough, right? But when you look at the work, I mean, the Human Rights Coalition and the Sustainable Supply Chain Initiative, those are really just the outputs of, those com- of that committee. And it really helps to solidify the specific actions we're taking to collectively address uh, human rights as an industry. So as an individual organization, you know, Smucker's been making great progress towards addressing forced labor practices in our own supply chain. But, you know, if we're truly committed to eradicate it completely from society, we have to continue working with peer companies, local governments and civil society to share learnings, best practices, and any new developments. And this is really why Smucker has been fully engaged in these two coalitions, because together we have the scale and strength to eliminate forced labor and really help people thrive. That's so true, Brian. And you mentioned that the Human Rights Coalition and the Sustainable Supply Chain Initiative were both born out of the CGF's previous Social Sustainability Committee. So now with the new coalition format, what I'm curious to see what alignment do you see between both of these coalitions and how does being in both coalitions now benefit your company and your work in sustainable sourcing and really helping, as you said, people thrive? Yeah, I mean, they're fully aligned, right? When you start with the Human Rights Coalition, this is set out to implement human rights due diligence frameworks in members' own operations. And an important element of human rights due diligence framework is how do you identify and assess labor practices? And social compliance audits are really one of the most well-understood and widely used methods of detecting forced labor and other labor rights issues um, in industry. And the work on the SSCI really helps to identify which of those audit schemes have been benchmarked to ensure that the existing social audits can help to be used to demonstrate compliance and that they meet industry expectations because there's so many different 
varieties of audits out there and, and different levels of standards. So that'll help to bring um, consistency into approach. But then as we look at the, the Human Rights Coalition, participating on the Human Rights Coalition really helps our responsible sourcing program evolve. And much of our work has been focused on our supply chain partners. The Human Rights Coalition is shifting that focus to our own operations and make sure that we're holding ourselves to the same expectations that we're also asking of our suppliers and that we have a more mature framework as we think about human rights internally and externally. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just great to hear how there's just so much similarities between the two coalitions. And if I may, for our, for our audience listening, I'll just say that the Human Rights Coalition's maturity journey framework for human rights due diligence systems and own operations is now live on the CGF website. And that's really the, um, the output of all those great collaborative work that's been going on within the coalition. Um, and the SSC, SSCI is now open for benchmarking um, in three different sectoral scopes. So both coalitions have been really progressing quite a bit. And as they've been able to make this progress, you know, for you, Brian, as, as Vice President of Compliance at Smucker, you obviously have a strong background in these issues, you know, responsible procurement, human rights, international trade. And in being part of the coalitions, what have been some of your personal key takeaways and learnings? Yeah, thanks, Madeline. I mean, it's it's been a fascinating ride. You know, I think for me, the, one of the key learnings and, and takeaways for me is just seeing the level of engagement on the working groups that are set up to engage and define the criteria for SSEI. And going through the process to recognize the different needs that a social compliance audit has to have to adapt and address to the various types of supply chains, right? So you look at, you had mentioned we have the three now, right? You've got manufacturing, the primary production, and, and recently the at-sea operation scopes. And looking at how each of these approaches has been really tailored to address the nuances of each type of, of the operations that we're dealing with. And it's it's been great to learn from all the professionals on the phone, right? You've got representation from civil society, um, really highly experienced social compliance auditors that are out there doing this important work in the field. You've got responsible sourcing prof professionals from um, all of our peer companies, all working collectively to define those expectations and strengthen how we approach social compliance audits for those different types. Um, that's for me been just a great learning and really allows us to take that back to our program at Smucker to say, okay, how do we need to adapt and make sure that we're addressing these different areas um, that we've had these discussions about on the calls? I mean, it's interesting. It's it's the coalitions of actions with CGF members, but it's also you're bringing in these external voices where you're able to learn, and that's, you know, obviously valuable information and learning as well. So a lot of information sharing that's going on that sounds like it's really helpful and really engaging. And this idea of bringing in external voices kind of ties in with my next question of taking a step back a little bit with all that's going on right now with the COVID-19 pandemic and its implications. Some would say that our industry is going through a stress test right now. And my question to you is what does supply chain sustainability have to do with passing that test? You know, when we're talking about human rights due diligence, why is it important for companies to be to be to be focusing on it and beyond it being the right thing to do? 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, stress test is a good way to put it. There's been no other time. You, you, you hear people talking about unprecedented, and it is truly an unprecedented time. Uh, COVID has had a significant impact on supply chains, not just the availability of supply, but also our ability just to move goods globally, right? With the, the ocean logistics networks and some of the impacts there. Then you also think about the availability of the workers and the increased need to produce goods under these demands and the availability of the workers and the potential for vulnerable populations to be subjected to long working hours, more overtime than necessary, and which lead to indicators of potentially forced labor, right? So uh, it's, it's been a tremendous challenge, I think, for us as we think about what we need to do for human rights and making sure we're verifying is be on the ground, be present, make sure you've got your folks there verifying those practices that are happening in the manufacturing operations at your primary production to ensure that those workers involved are being treated fairly and their, their rights being respected. Um, not only just the, the challenges related to COVID, but you also have to look at the increased enforcement. You know, here in the US, uh, US Customs has section 1307 that allows them to deny entry of any goods that were suspected to be made of using forced labor. Um, CBP just this year has issued 47 withhold release orders and withhold release orders are really what they use as their enforcement mechanism to prevent goods from being entered into the US. Uh, we've never seen this sort of activity from the uh, U.S. Customs Agency, and we expect it to continue to increase. In fact, earlier this month, the House Ways and Means Committee um, here in the United States put forward a $25 million recommendation to fund CBP's Forced Labor Division and suggesting that they hire 75 additional staff members and invest in origin tracing isotope technology to really help its advanced trade analytics platform and allow them to get better targeting to make sure they're preventing goods from being entered. Great, so thanks, Brian. I mean, what you said is so interesting. A, the part about being on the ground and then B, just this new legislation that's coming out and the, the increased focus that's being put on forced labor by, for example, this one agency. Um, and, and speaking of that whole topic, you actually hosted a session for HRC and, and SSCI members uh, earlier this year about the Customs and Border Control in the U.S. and, the new, and this new legislation, which can prevent um, the import of goods if there's any in evidence they've been produced with forced labor. And it was a really engaging session for both the CGF and the other coalition members. Um, so just for you, what inspired you to host this session and what are your reflections afterwards? Yeah, thanks, Madeline. And, and really, you know, that session for me was really making sure that the members understood the regulatory environment and really the new expectations that are coming. So I participate, I'm a, a co-chair on the Commercial Operations Advisory Committee uh, for the Department of Homeland Security that works with U.S. Customs uh, to address commercial practices and helping them enforce and support the Trade Facilitation Act. We get really close to the topic as it relates to forced labor. And I think there's a lack of just general awareness on the mechanisms related to preventing goods from being entered in the US, but also the expectations. So what's shifted is the US government is really putting the burden of proof back on an importer to demonstrate that they've gone through and conducted due diligence all the way back down to the raw ingredient. So what that means is 
today's industry, if you're doing social compliance audits of just your manufacturing sites or your direct supply chain partners that are in tier one or tier two of your supply chain, that's not going to be enough to demonstrate compliance in order to get the goods released from customs if they suspect that they were potentially made using forced labor. If you look at some of the recent actions against um, cotton products from Xinjiang in China, CBP is expecting full traceability and showing the chain of custody for, let's say, a wearing apparel. You've got a, a cotton t-shirt. They want to see the chain of custody from the time the cotton was harvested, right? You've got the harvested cotton all the way through to the dyeing, the weaving, the yarns, um, everything. And, and having that traceability back to source to show chain of custody and that you fully verified all of the labor practices and going back sometimes tier five or six in that supply chain. And it's really important, I think, for all of our members to understand we're not just talking about tier one and two. And I know our members understand that, but how do we collectively work to go deeper in those supply chains? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. And the last the last question I was going to pose to you is still pulling out to that high level picture of um, what are some other emerging topics or challenges that you think the, H, the, the Human Rights Coalition and the Sustainable Supply Chain Initiative need to prioritize and have on their radar? And I assume you, one of your responses would be the reg regulatory uh, landscape. But in addition to that, is there anything else? And um, yeah, what do you think they need to be keeping keeping uh, tabs on? Yeah, you're right. I mean, really making sure you're familiarizing yourself with the different regulations and the requirements that are out there. We know that other government agencies throughout the world are also using the customs model to develop their own mechanisms for enforcement. Um, I want to go back to the point again on just that traceability aspect. And I think as we think about emerging topics and challenges, I mean, this is at the forefront of it, not just for social compliance, but also the value proposition of having full traceability of those products. And I think it's important that we start to think about and identify where there are opportunities to collaborate among shared supply chains so that we can develop mechanisms that achieve the full traceability and that chain of custody. You know, evaluating the technologies that are out there to help facilitate that process that allows us to understand the players and then have the ability to go back and assess the labor practices there. But then from a proposition back to our consumers, right? Tell the story of the product. You now could potentially tell them the full traceability journey of that final good that you're putting in the consumer's hands. Um, so that's what I think of in terms of emerging areas and a challenge that I think we have to face as industry. Um, on the SSCI side of the house, We've got to continue our engagement with the scheme owners, right? We've got to work to really get collective alignment on the benchmarking process. Um, what's important to note for, for all those on the, that are listening to this, this podcast, we're not introducing a new audit scheme, right? We're collectively working to raise the bar, enhance trust in the standards that are there to make sure they're verified and truly reduce audit fatigue of our supply chain partners and all the costs that are related to that. We should have the ability to trust in the audits that are taking place today and know that they've been done um, at the level that we expect it from a social standpoint. That's so true, Brian. Thanks for that. 
And we're almost coming to an end of this podcast, but I just want to close off with one final question for you, which is, um, what is your call to action for companies that are not yet part of HRC or the SSCI? Yeah, if not, why, right? You've got to get out there. If you're not doing this work today, um, it could have the potential to severely disrupt your ability to produce the goods. And it's, a, it's really upon all of us to make sure that we've got the right level of engagement across industry and we need your voice there because together, again, I'll go back to the first point I made is together as industry, we bring the strength and scale to help eliminate forced labor and help people thrive. Yeah, it's that, it's that bringing the voices together that you mentioned, bringing in the different perspectives, that's so critical. So that sounds so important. And uh, everything that you've shared today, Brian, has been really eye-opening. And just I just wanna thank you so much for joining the podcast and, and thank you to all of our listeners who joined as well. So thank you, Brian. Yeah, Madeline, thank you so much for the opportunity and thank you for the listeners today, appreciate it. If you would like to find out more about the CGF and our work on sustainability, you can visit our website.